war in Ukraine has changed European security. Many of the things that were taken for granted require reconsideration. Policies need new thought and adaptation, not least in the tricky but vital area of nuclear policy. In this series, I talk to the authors of After the Peace, Efter Freden, a recent report from the Center for Military Studies, dealing with the consequences of the war for Danish and European security. Today, Cornelia Baciu, researcher at the Center for Military Studies on the changing nuclear politics. All right, Cornelia, welcome and uh, thanks for participating. Um, in our report, you've written a very interesting chapter, I think, with uh, with Alexander Tetzlaff on the nuclear dimension of the war in Ukraine. Um, can you can you perhaps highlight some of the main aspects of the current crisis that we should be aware of when it when it comes to nuclear policy and and politics? So I think some of the main aspects um, of the Ukraine war and the crisis associated with it would be, first of all, the changing international and normative context. So we are experiencing a political lowering of the barrier in state imaginaries, which is complemented by uh, the unraveling of arms control treaties. And um, this have made nuclear weapons matter more than ever before. Yeah, I mean, what I mean by by the political lowering of the barrier in the state imaginaries, it is uh, it is not something that has happened um, only now in the context of the war in Ukraine, but now has been exacerbated. So um, the Russian regime has instrumentalized the fear of nuclear war in order to to make um, others to to subscribe to its ambitions. Mm-hmm. And the, this means concrete, in concrete terms uh, that the, the Western societies um, actually have been alarmed by um, by the declarations by the Ru- Russian, particularly by um, the President Vladimir Putin or Foreign Minister, uh, Minister Lavrov, in which they, in, in these declarations, they uh, seek to, to deter a response by the West or an involvement of NATO um, in the conflict. And this is also in conjunction with some propaganda measures. Mm-hmm. So this has this mix has um, alarmed Western societies. Um, and yeah, I mean, we have seen also since uh, the annexation of Crimea that Russia has become more assertive and is uh, deliberately, deliberately uh, using ambiguity and um, disinformation as a strategic advantage. And also in the context, so like actually during the annexation of Crimea uh, in 2014, it has put its nuclear forces on high alert. And also in 2015, actually quite interesting, Russia warned that um, it would launch a nuclear attack on Danish warships Mm -hmm. if Denmark would join the NATO um, uh, ballistic missile defense. So, um, yeah, all this... this, um, repetition of threats of use of nuclear weapons can be seen as a as a political lowering of of the um, of the barrier in the state imaginaries that is eroding the norms of uh, nuclear non-proliferation and um, the um, uh, the nuclear taboo and also legal um, provisions that are in place that actually prohibit the use of force in circumstances of a violation of Article 4, mm-hmm. uh, Article 2.4 of the UN Charter. 
perhaps you can unfold a little bit more. You're already touching on this now, but but a little bit more. What is it actually that this matters to to nuclear policy, to the kind of uh, policy regime that that governs this area? Yeah. So I would say, um, in terms of concrete implications of the crisis, one striking implication is the the inaction of international institutions. Um, to to respond to this crisis to um, to end this crisis so we have this forced inaction which is um, which is a which is, which is paradoxical on one side but which shows us, us that it, um, uh, it's difficult to to do this because um, on on one side so it's difficult for global institutions to take action because on one on the one side um, because of the decision-making structure in the UN Security Council, in which Russia is uh, one of the P5, mm. and also the possession of nuclear weapons by Russia, which um, also factors in. And, um, I mean, nuclear policies and threats um, have been a critical part of uh, Russia's uh, strategic toolbox. And in the context of the war in Ukraine, it we could... We could say one could argue that have uh, that they have um, even to a, to a certain extent worked because um, in a in a certain sense um, if we think that NATO has refrained from establishing a no fly zone in in Ukraine and also from getting directly involved uh, um, in in the war so. Um, yeah, this is one implication. Another implication of the nuclear, um, of of the of, or another implication with nuclear aspect of the Ukraine war is the energy crisis. Um, also, and especially in Ukraine, I would say, and the intentional uh, mass deprivation of human rights uh, and the, the strategy that Russia seems to to follow. Um, and this is quite interesting. Also, in the in the context of uh, of now, uh, we are experiencing. We have experienced recently, actually, that uh, uh, there was a recognition of the Holodomor famine. Um, that was a terror famine, um, which was a Soviet-induced, um, um, yeah, uh, f- famine that led to the to 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 uh, four or nearly four ta- four million um, ca- uh, fatalities. So uh, recently, a lot of um, uh, governments or parliaments, for example, the German Bundestag has recognized Holodomor as a genocide. Um, so, yeah, this is quite an important um, symbolic step. And also it shows us some parallels, uh, uh, parallels um, um between that time and um, so between the past and um, the current situation, um, yeah, and also this the energy crisis, for example, in Ukraine has been um, has been the result of attacks on critical infrastructure, uh, including, for example, um, the Russia uh, Russian attack on um, on the nuclear power plant in Saporizhia, uh, which is under Russian control and which had a very important role in providing energy in Ukraine. It provided, I think, uh, almost one fifth of the entire uh, energy uh, mm-hmm. in Ukraine. So um, 
Yeah, and a, a part of that, it's also um, um, another implication is, as I mentioned, the, this um, the global return of nuclear weapons, which unleashes or puts pressure on, especially on European decision makers to to think um, more deep about uh, uh, this, this this problem and about the erosion of strategic stability and arms control. And um, so debates on nuclear issues are likely to become more important in, in Europe in the near future. No, so it's clearly quite complicated because it's both a kind of global governance uh, regime or structure, but it's also related to, to memory and, and the past and legacies, and it's related to the energy crisis and so on. So so I don't know if perhaps you can sketch some of the main challenges that, that, that are there for, for, for policymakers in this country and in perhaps in Europe and in the alliance in general. Um, on this on this topic, yes. Uh, so I think um, some main challenges for um, European countries, for NATO countries, for Denmark would be on one side to think uh, for the future and also for the present how to actually end the conflict uh, because it seems that we are in a, in a so-called uh, coup de sac. So. Mm. Russia being a P5 member and a nuclear state in the same in a, in the same time. Um, also think about this new um, era of morality and just war morality threshold. Uh, if we think about the principle of proportionality, for example, so, so basically the principle of proportionality, and I think there is a good report uh, on one of our colleagues on that. Uh, it says that. Uh, the um, how to say uh, there the, the harm to civilians and civilian property should not exceed the uh, the military strategic advantage uh, that is anticipated to be um, to to be um, to become from certain uh, actions. So um, this is what happen. This is what seems to happen right now that this principle of proportionality is being. Um, Uh, is being violated. And of course, there are a series of norms that are being violated, that are, um, uh, that are clear, clearly violate, violated. So we have this um, yeah, new era of morality in which we see the violation of norms and uh, we clearly see the violation of norms, but we can't really take any action. For Denmark, I think um, what it could do, it could um, continue to collect evidence for Russia's norms violations because these are important re uh, preliminary retributive steps. Um, so uh, there are several states that have started documented war crimes, and uh, Denmark is also contributing to it, but also uh, to try to document violations of norms that are related to, um, uh, to the nuclear policy. That would also be um, an important preliminary. Then also to, for Denmark, uh, it would be important to talk with European and NATO partners about the possibilities to avoid that the Russian military is getting stronger, uh, how this could, um, could happen. And um, yeah, maybe in broader terms um, for Denmark um, and also for other countries uh, inspired maybe by, uh, by the German Zeitenwender, it could uh, think about a so-called Wendepunkt, like a turning point, uh, a critical juncture, in which um, the governments think harder how to solve this tension between uh, legal commitments and 
norms in place versus political realities. Uh, I think that is that is um, um, might be a, a task for for now and also for the future. That is quite urgent to to rethink foreign policy strategy um, and and to ensure how to get out of this uh, dilemma and how to cope with it. And that was Cornelia Baciu, researcher at the Center for Military Studies, sharing some of her reflections about the nuclear dimension of the war in Ukraine. If you're interested in reading further into the topic, the report after the peace, Efter Freden, can be downloaded at the Center for Military Studies webpage. You can also follow the Center's work on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. My name is Nils Bjørnsen. Thank you for listening.